This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now, sports talk with Broads. Here's Hunter Brody. What is going on, everyone? Welcome on into Sports Talk Reproach. Joel Embiid is a legitimate monster. You can't stop him. I honestly don't know what I loved about his game the most. The fact that he can operate so beautifully when there were double teams and triple teams coming his way, whether he maneuvered out of those spots with great footwork and fadeaway jumpers, or he was passing the ball across the court into the corner for a wide-open look for another teammate to have such a great three attempt. He was doing so much. He was getting to the free-throw line. Of course, you had to foul him. The Dallas Mavericks have no business being on the floor. How about the fact that Willie Cauley-Stein, this bum, this loser, thinks that he could play the physicality game with the best big man in basketball, with the most valuable player in the NBA? You're a string bean, dude. You literally weigh six pounds. There's no way in hell that you actually thought in your brain that it would be a smart idea to wake up the beast, even though he was already playing solid. Let's poke the bear. How dumb can you be? It doesn't make sense. You need to be fully aware. When you are going up against a player that is wired differently, that is an unbelievable force, you can't get them all pissed off. When you do that, they elevate themselves. And they already are playing at such a lethal level, you now wake them up even more. If I'm the coach, get your ass on the bench, you moron. That's what I would do to Willie Cauley-Stein. And I, I, I doubt that Carl told him to do it, but I was going to say, if Carl told him, hey, go do that so you can try and get into his head, well, then he's stupid and should be fired on the, on the spot immediately. But he's too smart. He's been around the block too long. He did have some really nice things to say about Joel Embiid in terms of his growth and how far he's come. And when it comes to this league, there's so much to learn. And it takes a while to mature. And Joel Embiid is finally doing that. I've kind of been saying, and not to toot my own horn here, but I've been saying that for the last three years when everyone was demanding this team to go win a championship. It takes time for these players to fully grow into themselves. And Joel Embiid, I mean, it was just ridiculous. He had everything going. I saw 
ball. Euro steps early. I love the fact when he gets the ball out by the perimeter and he hits you with the pump fake or he knows that he's not going to shoot the ball and he works himself into that mid-range game, which is basically automatic to this point this season. But he just knows, like, I'm not even going to shoot this, but the threat that I can shoot it, and maybe I will. I mean, once in a blue moon, he does take those threes, not to the attempts that he took in previous years that has dwindled down a bit and the efficiency has rised as well but Joel Embiid just getting to those spots he knows when he gets it that hey I can operate from this far out and I can drill it in your face and he did have a really nice one where he just stepped in shot clock was winding down and no one was even close to stopping him drills to three perfectly he puts his arm down and puts the three bomb celebration towards the floor as he's trotting back to the defensive side which he performs very well in that area too may I add even though I'm going to be obsessed with all of the outstanding different versatile moves that he put on display tonight let's not act like when he's in the paint protecting the rim and doing other phenomenal things on that defensive side that that's not important because it's just as special if not even more special just the fact that he can combine it all together and make it so magical I mean I I feel like I am I'm just blessed I feel like I'm blessed by the basketball gods this is highly entertaining stuff. My man dropped 30, uh, what did he, 36 points in 27 minutes, 14 of 15 from the line. It took him a bit to get his first bucket and all, but that's because he was living at the line where you had to hack him. Dallas had no business in the beginning going with any of the lineups that they went to. And then when they eventually go to Boban, just because he's tall, you know this guy can't move. You know his feet are slow as hell and stuck in the mud. So what do you do? Well, you do a little bit of an adjustment, and you still rock with Embiid, but you force him to come out and be like, you, you play the spacing game, man. You force Boban to have to uh, defend differently, and you, and you get him to move, and you can utilize some pick-and-roll action. I mean, it was a no-brainer what you could do to get Boban having to move more in space. And, and this guy is slow as hell. He's a tortoise out there. He's a snail. So he's easy to exploit. There's not many teams, if any, that can really bang with Embiid, let's be realistic, but when you see teams like this, and when you see teams like Boston, where they really don't have a time of day, it's just laughable, and makes it even funnier to me. You'll see the matchups with guys like Steven Adams, and yes, it's tougher, and, and that, that like it's a mature, professional, sound, well-built player that can definitely not be afraid of Embiid and, and show the toughness, show the worth, which, you know, I, you, you do see the difference between the two, and I the way Embiid has played to this point, you know, that Steven Adams performance is almost what makes Embiid so special this year. You see that he has a different mindset, and like, I, but in years past, I think that effort against Adams and shying away and and just playing that way after the two personal fouls for Adams in years past, I think that would stick with him longer, and he wouldn't apply that to his game. But now, with the way that he's playing, you get another shot at Adams, and I truly believe he makes the personal adjustments, the mental adjustments, and he's not afraid to continue to approach that matchup differently. But he'll attack you, and and he'll go for it, and he won't back. Down, I think in years past he probably would have, but to go back to what Carl was saying after the game, that's kind of the difference in growing as a player.
here in this league, and, and we're watching Joel Embiid do it. So whether it was uh, being fouled nonstop, the Euro, the footwork, I mean, you see two, three guys on him, and he's spinning around, keeping his pivot foot down, waiting for that fadeaway jumper, pump fake a couple times, get comfortable where he wants to, and then before you know it, here's three guys with their hands up. Everyone knows that famous picture of... Kobe Bryant where he's taking the jump shot and there's four guys on him and he's fading away. And of course, it's Kobe Bryant, so it's beautiful, right? Uh, But that was honestly what I felt like I was watching in Joel Embiid in this effort. And I love the fact that you didn't have to play him for the fourth quarter. After the game, Doc Rivers was asked about, hey, Doc, how big was it that you didn't have to play your starters late in the game going up against Brooklyn? And he hits you with, oh, we're playing Brooklyn next? I had no idea. I don't really notice that stuff in the regular season. (laughs) Okay, Doc, look, look, look. Shut up. I don't believe you. I don't believe you at all. You know when the key matchups are coming. There's a few matchups on the calendar that get highlighted in the regular season. There's not many, but you know when you play Boston, right? You know when you play the Lakers. You know when you play the Clippers. You know when you play Utah. You know when you play the Nets. And that almost makes this game a little bit more impressive to me because this is a game where, look, you're on the road first off. And they haven't been playing their best version of basketball when you look at like the last five, six, seven games or so. They had that two games at home and it wasn't perfect. They they lost to the Pelicans. Like It just hasn't been a perfect form. And to know that you're going up against Brooklyn, you don't overlook the Dallas Mavericks who have someone like Luka Doncic. Now getting to Luka, uh, you, you might look at his stat sheet afterwards or the box score afterwards and say, well, he ended up scoring 32 points. But when you watch him play out there, that's where the box score doesn't do it justice. It doesn't really tell the full story. My man was insanely uncomfortable all night long. He was rattled. You could tell in his body language. You could tell in his facial expression. When he hit the backboard for the three, I mean, that shot was just horrendous. It ends up going in, but he's not happy with himself. It doesn't feel good coming off of his hands with this stroke. He might have had some buckets and all and some nice takes, but, you know, he was getting uh, just physical. Guys were getting physical with him. Guys were making him earn it. He really did have to put every ounce of his 100% effort into those 32 points. It didn't come easy. It didn't come natural. And uh, I just thought when you watched him play out there, the Sixers defense sort of made him feel like, man, I, I am just dying out here and they keep attacking me and I'm getting beat up and nobody else is stepping up my teammates aren't helping me I can't rely on Josh Richardson who stinks may I add Seth Curry is having a little bit of a weird year in my opinion he gives you some odd streaks he gives you some really ugly streaks and all but the fact that with the year Seth Curry is having you can easily make the argument that the Sixers still won the trade. Josh Richardson from three, you heard Mark Zumoff talk about it, having a down year there. Uh, he's just a strange player. He's got a strange personality on the court. His game is very odd to me. And look, he's a good defender, don't get me wrong and all, but and that's what the Mavericks were looking for. They were trying to improve perimeter defense and whatnot. I, I, I don't know. With Josh Richardson, the fact that Seth Curry's having the year that he's having, and you can definitely say, oh, the Sixers won that trade. I mean, come on now. Uh, it, it just kind of tells you Josh Richardson. It's weird because, like, individual skill set-wise, 
there's something there. I'm not going to say it's anything outrageous. I'm not going to say it's like this amazing skill set that's just crazy. But there's something in it just from an individual skill set standpoint. But it doesn't really pop that way, right? Like when you watch him, it doesn't really flow that way. You don't watch it. It doesn't generate naturally that way. Uh, something missing in the Josh Richardson department. But getting back to Luka and how we kind of transition into, into Josh Richardson to begin with, there's something to be said about this team. Every team has bad matchups. Every team, they don't have their best game. Like They, they can't figure out the Sixers. Luka can't figure out the Sixers at all. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's hell is what it is. I would imagine when he's got his beats on and he's getting prepared before the game and he's walking into the arena, he's listening to Drake, Future, whatever he gets, whatever he listens to to get himself going, he's probably thinking, God damn it. Do I have to do this again? Do I really need to do this again? Uh, not that Ben and this team. Like I said, it's not like this was the most swarming effort I've ever seen against Luka. But if you just look through the past, look through the history, there is this level of defeat in his body afterwards. And you did notice something, though, with Doc Rivers. And you weren't able to fully look at it in the second half because of the way the fourth quarter played out. Because you went so deep in your bench and you allowed the Paul Reeds of the world to run up and down the floor a bit. Which is nice. I like that. I'm just saying you don't know exactly how it would have played out if it was a closer game. You saw Ben Simmons shadow Luka's minutes where you saw some more staggering. And you saw this in the last game as well. I wonder if you're now starting to get to that point with Doc Rivers where, hey, this is probably what we're going to do more in the postseason. So let's now work this into our rotation. Let's now work this into some of our sets so we can get more accustomed to it. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe it just so happened to be because it was Luka and it's just it's just happening that way. Maybe it is, but it's weird because all season long, you go so heavy with like all this and you don't stagger them as much as we'd like them to. And now all of a sudden, the last few games, you're seeing it more. And it's not ironic. It's not brain surgery here that you're now seeing some different play when you kind of stagger these guys throughout. Uh, let's get to Furcon, because I'm sure everyone's waiting for a little Furcon Corkmaz talk. He ended up having 20 points, a 4 of 7 from 3. It was discussed the entire game, his defensive effort, and what he's doing on that side of the floor. Look, there's no doubt that Furcon smelled that his spot in the rotation was dwindling, and he's trying to make the most of it. He's trying to prove his worth, and kudos to him. I don't believe in him for the playoffs, because you think about, like, there's eight guys that are probably going to play, right? The way I look at this, you know you're starting five. You got George Hill, Dwight Howard, Matisse Thibel. You got Shake Mill and Furcon Korkmaz. Those are other guys as well. Like, th those guys. I mean, look, Matisse Thibel, his defense is unbelievable. You saw it on display tonight. He's all over the place, man. His, his ability to rebound, not saying rebound the basketball, but I'm saying, uh, you know, like rebound defensively. If there's something where he can kind of make up for it and, and bounce back and uh, he could just his the way that he I, I hate I'm looking for another word that's not rebound because it makes it feel like I'm saying he's grabbing the basketball off the rim or off the backboard but uh, we'll go with it you understand what I'm saying he he can kind of get back and and make up for something if he if he did get beat his explosiveness that way I'm watching him swap balls out it's it's crazy and 
weirdly, not that I think it's ready now, not that I think it's ready for this playoff run by any stretch of the imagination, but he has been putting the floor, putting the ball on the floor lately where he's attacking the rim and he's starting out by the three-point line and he sees a lane open. He's not afraid to dribble a couple times and take it. He's getting closer to the rim for some of his shot selection. So as of late, I saw a couple moments. They're not flashy. They're not insane, right? They're not just like, oh my God, look at what Matisse Thibel did. But it has been noticeable as of late, a couple moments here and there where he wasn't afraid to attack the rim, put the ball on the floor. And maybe I'm just not used to that as much as I want to be. And that's an area that I would love to see Matisse Thibel grow. With Furkan, look, there's going to be 10 guys or so that are fighting for an eight-man rotation. I think depending on the night, depending on the matchup, depending on the team, that's how Doc is going to look at who plays, and it's going to be different than maybe that eighth guy. But also, everyone gets so, like, focused in so heavily on this. Ben Simmons, these guys are playing 38 minutes. You're talking about seven minutes for some of these later-end, back-end bench players. Six minutes, right? It comes down to the starters. It comes down to those elite players. It comes down to your starting five more so than anything else. And Dwight Howard's minutes are going to be important because Joel Embiid's your MVP. So that's important. What's going to happen when he's off the floor? So that's valued a little bit differently. George Hill and the sixth man, that's valued a little bit differently. But once you get to seven, eight, that type of level of rotation minutes in the playoffs, you're seriously talking about just a handful of minutes anyway. Uh, Furkan, he had a good game. I'm not taking that away from him. He was shooting the ball very well. It looks like he's focused on his defense, and you even saw the quote pop up on a graphic where for a guy to be so offensive and Doc is stressing, let your defense do the work, and that will allow your offense to play. And for an offensive guy to buy into that, you're starting to see it. You do see it. Uh, I'm not – I'm personally – I've seen this. I've seen the hot stretches of regular season basketball out of out of Furkan. He goes through his highs. He goes through his lows. It looks like now he's going through his highs. But at a crucial point for him, for the back stretch, so kudos to him. I respect it from just a personal athlete perspective. Have at it. You know, you're you're battling for it. You know it's a dogfight right now. You know you have to earn it. You know you're not sitting in the driver's seat. So when you have these limited chances, drill your shots and cash in. Do you? I'm not criticizing that. Uh, I, I'm just not believing in it. That's all. I'm just not believing in it. There's a difference between some of these teams now and uh, real action as we move forward. So, all right, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons. Three of six, not enough for my liking from a, a, percent, from a field goal number. Two of six from the free throw line. Just abysmal at the charity stripe. So he's now falling back. There was a time where he was shooting really well from the free throw line. Now we're back to disaster. Now we're back to clanking it off the back iron and hitting the backboard first. I mean, it is just so bad. What I did see, though, I saw a couple takes where he had Luka on him and he starts foaming out the mouth in excitement and it gets back to... It's obvious you see that you can take him, right? So why when you have Grayson Allen on you, or why when you have some of these stiffs in the league, you don't feel like doing it, but you love when Luka's on you, and you'll take it all day then. Uh, it's just it's crazy to me that that's how his brain operates. But he did get bailed out, and I, and I want to point this out. 
Josh Richardson blocked his ass, and the refs caught a foul, which was just a terrible call. But guess what? He put pressure on the stripes. He put pressure on the refs and forced them to blow the whistle because of his physicality and because of his aggressiveness. Boban, it looked like he got all ball. Now, the broadcast and the TV went to commercial, and by the time they came back to commercial, we didn't get a full-on replay unless I missed it, but I don't think they went to a full-on replay of it when they came back from commercial. Ben Simmons was at the line ready to take his shots and get the ball to get into rhythm. Not that he was getting into rhythm because he has no rhythm at the at the line, but you get my point. Uh, but they got bow- he got bowed out for some of his free throws. It just shows you, though, the importance, and it relates to what Joel Embiid said after the game last game He's got to put the other team in trouble. That's what he does. They weren't even actual fouls. His ass got blocked a couple times. But just the fact that it's Ben Simmons and it's him and it's his body structure, it's his physicality, it's his determination to get to the rack, that alone, whether it actually is a, a good take or not, whether your body's opening up in a weird way and you're not squaring up your shoulders to the rim or not, take all that away. Just look at the fact that the other team actually made great plays on you, but your aggressiveness actually forced the refs to put you there. Do you not see what that changes? Now you got guys in foul trouble. Now they have to figure out what they're going to do next. It's really not that hard. For me, for me personally, the Ben Simmons game, eh, eh. I know what he does defensively. I know how much he has to focus on a player like Luka Doncic. To me... Eh, all right? We're in that same category of Ben Simmons, of what we kind of been seeing throughout this point. The free throw shooting, I, I mean, that's troublesome to me. That's troublesome. I'm, I'm sick of, and, and I think we're past that now. We're four years in. We're at the back end of a fourth season. It, it's no longer, I'm not going to be satisfied no longer with just the fact of like, hey, at least he's uh, attacking the rim six times. Uh, like, <laughs> I know I brought up, like, the fact that he's not squaring up his body and all that. And I'm just like, my point was, you see what going to the rim does. It forces the refs to make a decision. And for the most part, when your name is Ben Simmons, when you have brand recognition, when you are a bigger name, you get the benefit of the doubt. So you're seeing what that does for the opposing team. And that matters. It really, really does matter. And it could change the outcome of a game easily, just putting a team into foul trouble. So you see that. But no longer say, like, well, because I hear Doc after the game, right? Yeah, we found a good balance of aggressiveness and finding his teammates. No, no, not enough for me. Not enough for me. And I heard Rich Hoffman talk on 97.5 The Fanatic. Rich Hoffman covers the Sixers for the Athletic. Him and Derek Bonner do a fantastic job. He was talking to Mikey Miss, and they were talking about this recent stretch out of Ben Simmons. And this was really uh, important to me to note, and I thought it was such a great point. You know, when you talk about, well, at least Ben is getting his teammates open and all. Yeah, he's averaging. And when you look at his assist numbers, you're, you're not getting anything crazy. His scoring's down. It would be different if he's giving you 14 assists and his scoring's down. Sort of like in the beginning of the year, he was getting all these amazing numbers. And Seth Curry, Danny Green, and specifically Seth Curry, if you remember, the first chunk of games of the year, he was shooting 65 62% from three. It was electric. Fireworks were just flying out of his hands as he was shooting the rock. So when you saw that, it was like, all right, his numbers are up. Like, it it doesn't matter how it's coming as long as it's coming. And now, like, you're not getting that. You're not getting 12 assists, 13 assists out of Ben Simmons. And the scoring's dipped a bit. 
you're, you're flat out just not getting good enough play. And it's not justifiable to support that uh, just because you like Ben Simmons. When when you know what the ceiling is and you're not close to the ceiling, it's okay to be hard on someone. It's called hard love. There's a reason why parents are hard on their kids. It's because they love them and they care for them. They're, they, they punish them for a reason. All right? Because they it, they matter to them. They care about them. Well, that's how I feel about Ben Simmons. I care about him too much to just let that slip. All right? Nine. Now, before we get to the Anytime Hotline calls, I do want to tell you about my friends over at DraftKings. We do have some basketball in play. Basketball teams are entering the final month of the regular season as they gear up for the playoffs. While some teams are locks to make the playoffs, others are still fighting for their opportunity to chase the trophy this summer. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action with a chance to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any basketball team to win their next game, and if during that game the team of your choosing hits a three, you bring home $100 in free bets. Bets. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code BROADS when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. If the basketball team of your choosing hits a three, that's code BROADS to turn $1 into $100 in free bets. For a limited time, only at DraftKings Sportsbook must be 21 or older. Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. In partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, I'm curious how we are going to uh, sound today on the Anytime Outline. What are the people out there saying? Now, this is how you deal with inferior teams. Absolutely manhandle them. Joel Embiid, I mean, what can you say about this guy? Three phases of his game, he beat you down the post, mid-range, or hit you from the three. But I think my favorite thing about him from last year is that He's dealing with the double teams. Last year, that was a big struggle, but this year, he's just playing people on the fiddle, and it's so enjoyable to watch him just succeed right now. I think moving forward, yeah, you're going to just have to go through on D and say, bring us to the promised land, and hopefully all the key pieces around him will gel moving through the playoffs. Can't wait to see him play against the Nets and kick those sorry asses. Yeah, I can't wait either. I can't. I wish they were going full throttle. Uh, but this is going to be a big game, though, for sure, against the Nets on Wednesday when they play uh, as the Sixers are now in hand of that first seed. But it can change depending on how this game goes down and whatnot. Anyway, yeah, with Embiid, I think it's crazy that with him passing out of the double team, as you alluded to, not only sometimes passing out of the double team, it's not just about finding that open guy, which he does do. And there are times where he kicks it out. There's ball movement, and then it ends up back in Joel Embiid's hand for him to have the cover, the the one-on-one matchup. The coverage is there for him to be able to exploit that matchup, and then bang, he's able to attack once more when it all started and generated from him to begin with. That's how well they do dish around the ball, and they get exactly what they want on certain possessions. Allow, allow him to bring you the promise in. That's what the NBA playoffs is all about. When you have a championship-caliber player playing the way that Joel Embiid is playing, that's what you do. Go take us there. Bring us on that ride. Yes, other players are going to need to help out. 
Tobias Harris is going to have to give you those buckets when you need it, and he's going to be able to. He's going to have to be able to be the Tobias Harris that we have seen for majority of this season, where he's confident, he's making great decisions, he's attacking the rim, he knows when to attack, he knows when to pop it. There were times early in the season where I thought just his his ability to recognize when to take the three and not double clutch or or not think about it or not hesitate. It was in rhythm. He knew what he was going to do with the ball in his hands prior to it coming to him. Not that that has changed. I don't want to make it seem like Tobias Harris doesn't do that anymore, but I do feel now he's getting into that mid-level post-up game and he's operating there more than he did earlier in the season. Not that it wasn't there, let's be clear. I thought in the earlier stages of the season it was get him the ball, uh, fast break, transition threes, catch and shoot threes, all that. I remember stats were flying all around about how great he was and, and how amazing he was in that area. Now you start to see him operate on the floor in comfortable areas. You can see the development and growth of him in this offense. But if you can get all that and everything, his entire bag flowing with a good mix of Danny Green being the professional, coming up with timely threes when needed, and not only that, coming up with good defensive stops out of Danny Green, too, uh, because that's a big, crucial element of this. We talk about Green for his ability to knock down those open shots and what he brings from a veteran standpoint, but he also does have something left in the tank on that defensive end. He's not what he once was, but there's still enough in there where I've seen a fresher version of Danny Green this season, like the the freshest version of Danny Green this season is still something that can be extremely important and so valuable when you're talking about the defensive end going up against some of these players, you know? Like, it's going to be a tough matchup against the Nets with their three stars and what's Danny Green going to do and Tobias Harris, Joel Embiid, the versatility of those guys and how maybe you can uh, be creative with your unit on that defensive side and all. But Danny Green, like that element of Danny Green, I don't know if it's stressed enough about what he can do when he's clocked in and logged in properly upstairs and, and when he's like a fresh version of Danny Green there. Yeah, that that's going to be fun to watch for sure. Woo-hoo-hoo! That's what I'm talking about. He did it again. Joel Embiid, another dominant game. When he put his head down like that, ain't nobody guarding him. Not even on Brooklyn. But speaking of Brooklyn, I'm really looking forward to Wednesday's matchup. National TV game, let's go. But nice win tonight for the Sixers. Oh, it was a beautiful win. They took care of business, and they saw an opponent that they should be able to destroy, and that's exactly what they did. You're up 20-plus. You're on a rhythm. You can play your back end of the bench. But get into Joel Embiid's dominance because that's what amazed us the most. And, like, we casually talk about 36 and 27 minutes or so as if that's common, normal. Well, he, sh- he could have dropped 50. I saw a lot of that. Oh, play him the whole game. He could have dropped 50. Stop. If you think a personal accolade of 50, against this team when it's 20-plus points of a blowout is worth the risk of him getting injured or the risk of him doing anything. At that point, uh, that's a a whole different discussion than him playing through the bone bruise initially and and how they were handling that and it getting worse. When you're up 20-plus and you're just waxing a team, yeah, the logical thing is you don't worry about the 50-point night. He's got 36 and 27. Uh, Just the way, though, that he was on the floor – You could not stop this man from getting a bucket in any area of the game. He's getting baseline. He's fading to his right. It's smooth. Every time he's out there shooting the ball, 
It's so smooth. Every portion of the court, name an area on the floor. And I don't know if this guy has a wonky part of his game. Everywhere, everywhere. At seven foot. How do you stop him? The fading to the right, the fading away, the getting fouled, the throwing his arms up, the getting his rebounds, the physicality. That Willie Cauley-Stein sequence is hilarious to me. It makes me piss myself. Who do you honestly think you are to think? You're a twig, man. You're a twig. Why would you wake up someone who you know can put you in a coffin? Like, where's your brain cells? Where's your brain cells? Oh, baby, what a win for the Sixers tonight. Great performance all around. Joel Embiid should be the MVP. I don't care that he missed all those games. Did you see that performance tonight? Um, What's huge today is we got a 20-point lead and we kept it. We've seen this team in the past have these 20 point leads and blow it but we kept it we kept our foot on the gas but I'm very proud of this team well to be fair this year and this kind of goes back to when they had that stinker the other night and they weren't really prepared and Doc Rivers called them out mentally and nobody was really happy I guess I guess it was the Pelicans game when Zion scored 37 or whatever it was and he was just explosive to the rim nobody felt engaged and he talked about the mental lapse and all and but he but he did state like hey That's not been us this year. This happens. We're human. Dustin Johnson didn't make the cut at the Masters. So we're not normally like this. When you talk about, well, you know, this team we've seen blow 20-point leads. Not really this year. They've learned. They understood. They went through that pain. They've suffered. These top dogs on this team, they've experienced those tough losses and those big blow needs happened before where it was damaging and crushing. You go back to the locker room with your head down and your head's in a towel because you're just so upset with yourself and you're on the bus ride home and you're on a plane and you're thinking, what the hell just happened? That shock factor sits in. We were up 20 with, with 14 minutes to go in this game. There were a few minutes left in the third, which bled into the fourth quarter. How could we possibly allow that to slip through our fingertips? There were plenty of games where that happened. But this season specifically, not really. So I don't look at this team as a squad that has a lead. And like maybe when you're back end of the bench is in and all, and, and the other team's hard back end of the bench players are in because you're trying to prove themselves to the coach that they deserve some more minutes. And they're down a bunch and they're just fighting hard and competing. Like sure, in that aspect, but that's completely different than your starters just uh, allowing to piss a game away and, and totally just allow a team to squeak back in. Does it happen? Sure, it happens. Any good team in this league has gone through a tough loss where they should have never lost. And before you know it, with three minutes to go, it's somehow a two-point game and you got to tough it out and earn it. But somehow you just slip and there's bad possessions. Like, sure, good teams have those. Good teams have losses that sting a bit. And that's what kind of builds your character as a team and builds you fighting back from adversity. How do you respond from that type of loss? What do you do that next night? What do you do the next time you see that team? How do you prepare differently? How do you make sure you draw up different plays? How do you execute if it's the same play? How do you make sure you execute it the next time? What do you do differently? All those matter to those losses, but 
I personally don't look at this team as, well, I mean, 20-point game. Whew, they normally blow these bad boys. Not this year. And that's the difference of this team. That's why they're first. They, they've been first in the Eastern Conference. They're at the top of the Eastern Conference for a reason. That's that's why, because they don't allow for that to happen. So uh, maybe you're just stuck a little bit in the years past mentality with Brett Brown and when Joel was younger and he wasn't as ready to win. He wasn't as focused. He wasn't as mature. It's a different style of play, man. It really is. Hey, what's up, bro? It's, you know, good deserved win tonight. Um, you know, it, it was just interesting to uh, see. Corkmouth had the less minutes and was the second leading scorer in the game. But it's like, I don't know what's going on with everybody else. They're acting like they don't want to play here. And Corkmouth is definitely playing like he don't want to be in the doghouse with Mike Scott. So let me know what you think about that. What's up, what's up bro's nation? I think that, look, Doc Rivers actually praised Shake Milton and, and getting some of the guys open like Furcon Corkmoss, finding a guy like Corkmoss who felt confident tonight. So we really praised that aspect of Shake Milton's game. I'm not really in love with Shake right now. I don't think when you, when you process a playoff run, I can't rely on Shake Milton this season to feel confident in his play. He has flashes and he has spurts, but I'm not really ready to commit to Furcon, or excuse me, well, well, yes, but Shake Milton on that level. How about when he fell over, though, by the way, after a tough foul and he went hard to the ground and he's sitting there with his eyes covered and he got up within three seconds. Nothing was wrong, dude. Get up. You're saying you got hit in the face. Get up. Stop being one of those guys. Get up. Get up and start playing. You tried to sell it. Within five seconds, you're up, and you're pretending like your eye hurts, and you're giving me one of these, like, hey, there's something you got hit me in the face. Get up. Uh, but with Shake, yeah, I'm not ready for it and all. I did see something interesting, though, about the Furcon experience. And right now, with Shake, like, you're trying to see him play off the ball a bit more. Furcon runs the offense at times with the ball in his hands, which is very confusing to me. But if you get him back to just being a stand-and-shoot guy and George Hill is running your offense, the problem is you're not going to know what that looks like. You're not going to have a lot of time to adapt to that. And you're not going to get a lot of time to toy around with it to see what works best and, and your best rotation. It's more of like a, hey, trial and error on the fly because there's not going to be that many games where you get the opportunity to have a lot of run together. If you just had Cork must be like a stand-and-shoot guy, don't do anything. You're not worrying about uh, him playing a two-man game with Dwight Howard, this and that. It's just go stand there, let George Hill operate, and if the ball finds him, there is one thing that he does very well, and that's shooting the basketball when he is on one of his hot streaks. If he's just standing there and having to focus on nothing but standing there and let the offense kind of work itself out naturally – Will that be a whole different dynamic of Furcon compared to them trying to get Shake Milton off the ball and get Shake Milton scoring and putting the ball into Furcon's hand, him playing a two-man game, him trying to put the ball on the floor and, and this and that. That's where it's it's too much. It's too much for what Furcon has to offer. Like, stop, right? That's the way I see it. Is the George Hill experience going to change that? Uh, in terms of Mike Scott, it's just, it is what it is, man. The Mike Scott thing, it's just not going to fly. It's not going to be good enough. It's it's not something you can rely on. You can't consistently get anything positive out of Mike Scott. He's been poor 95% of the time, if not even more this season. The Mike Scott experience is something that I, I don't think is going to be very beneficial in postseason play. Uh, but I, I will, as much as I can, stand for a kind. I'll give him credit just from like an athlete perspective of he knows time's running out. He knows he doesn't have a lot of minutes left to try and prove himself. And last couple of games, he's made some shots. So we'll see what that means, even though I don't have the biggest belief in the world. 
I want to thank everybody so much for tuning in to this episode of Sports Talk with Broach. Wednesday cannot come fast enough. Thank you all so much for listening, and I will see you next time.